Thank you so much. Amen. I don't usually preach for a full hour, but in the years past, I did 35 sermons on the subject I'm preaching to you about, and they were 40-minute sermons. I'm pulling those down, if it's possible, into one hour. So it's a one-hour sermon, but if, if you want to take notes, if you, if, if you can get a recording, get a recording of it, because... This is almost 60 years now that I've been studying this subject. My text is Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, as they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as Jesus went up, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus, which was taken up from you, into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into the heavens. 380 times the Bible speaks concerning the second coming of Christ. 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament refer to the second coming of Christ. One out of every 25 verses refer to the second coming of Christ. So it is a wonderful possible the most pertinent subject of our day. I'm asked more about this, I guess, than anything else. This is my experience. I went off to college, to East Texas Baptist College. I took 35 hours of Bible. When I went off to college, I loved East Texas Baptist College, by the way. Uh, halfway through, I left there and went to Stephen F. Austin State University for two years and I took speech and diction, trying to sharpen my tool because I came from a cowboy that didn't even speak good English to being a preacher. So I needed to get all the help I could get. When I got into the theological department, we studied Old Testament, New Testament survey, all of that. But when we got into the revelation, at that time, I think it's probably better today than it was then as far as having a balance of professors. All my professors is what they called amillennials, meaning no millennial kingdom, that the book of Revelation was just figurative. I went home. I didn't buy into that. I didn't think that God would give us a book that was not meant for our day. In fact, the last verses of that book was if we had anything to take away from that book, then the plagues would be on us. So this is what I did. I went and started studying at home. I put away all my books. I'm sorry, I, I think it's a, probably a good book, but the Schofield Bible, I've never owned one. I've never read one. So this is not taken from any particular book. This is taken straight from the Bible. This is what I did. I took the Bible and I went from Genesis through Revelation. And I decided I was gonna let the Bible interpret the Bible. And when I got through, I was absolutely astounded because when you let the Bible interpret the Bible, it doesn't conflict. Isn't that wonderful? So this is my story. In all that study of all those years, I graduated from East Texas Baptist College, later went on and got a master's and a doctorate in theology, whatever that's worth. 
but I did get that anyhow and earned it. <laughs> but <clears throat> this is what I found. God operates through agreements or covenants. And it's important that you understand how he operated in the old covenant so you can see how he operates in the new covenant. So I found out that the first covenant that God made was with Adam. You all know the story of Adam and Eve went into the garden and God allowed Satan to be in that garden. Why do you suppose he did that? He did that so that man would be given a choice. In theological school, I learned about the sovereignty of God and the will of man. We have a will given by God. Why did God let a Satan be on the earth? Because God wants to be loved like us. The Bible says God is love and God deserves our love. So this is what I came up with. I found out when Adam and Eve sinned that they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. God came walking through the garden and he saw what was going on. He already knew they had sinned. And so God covered their nakedness and an animal was killed. The blood was shed and the skin of the animal was placed around Adam and Eve. That started the blood covenant. The blood covenant runs from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's called the scarlet thread. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. These old covenants have a lot to do, believe it or not, with the second coming. Well, this is what happened. The sin that was in Adam and Eve spread over the earth until the earth became very vile and very sinful. So God looked over the earth and he found a man named Noah. And he raised up Noah. You all, all, know, all know that story. And he told Noah to build an ark. For 120 years, Noah worked on that ark. But during the day, he would preach to the people and warn the people, repent and turn to God. Water's going to fall from the sky. There's going to be a great flood. But no water, the Bible says, at that time had fallen from the sky. So they mocked him called him an old fool, and they wouldn't listen. After 120 years, he didn't have a single convert, but he was faithful to the Lord. That's where our faithfulness comes, be faithful to God. Then God sends the flood. You know that story. There's a very important key. If you're making notes, make a note about Noah, because it's going to have a lot to do with understanding the second coming of Christ. An important key there. I call them golden spiritual nuggets. Well, Noah and his family got on the ark. God closed the door. When God closes the door, no man can open it. When God opens the door, no man can close it. Time goes by and God looks over the earth. He had tried. Here's the picture of God. God is always loving man and wanting man to love him back. But sin comes in the gap, and we can't get, get a hold of God because of sin. I mean, the Bible says all is sin and comes short of the glory of God. So this is what God did. He raised up a man named Abram, named him Abraham. And Abraham became the father of a special race known as the Israelites or the Jews. 
God thought if I can raise up a race of people that will love me and serve me, maybe it'll be all right. But you know that didn't work either, did it? Wasn't long till the sentence of Abraham became very, very sinful. So the earth became corrupt again, but God made promises to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, and two others we're going to learn about here in just a moment. God never, ever reneged on one of his promises. God kept all his promises, but man couldn't keep them. That's where the rub came. So the Lord decided, since there was such a falling away from the Lord by man, that he was going to give man a law. Maybe if he gave man a written law, man would keep it. So what did he do? He raised up Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain. The Bible says God carved the Ten Commandments on those stones. Moses is so excited. He's got the law now. He comes down from the mountain, and the people are dancing before golden calf. It made him so angry, he threw the stones on the rocks, and they broke the Ten Commandments. That didn't work either. So the people, by this time, by the way, a lot of years have passed now. A couple of 3,000 years have passed. And there are nations everywhere. And the nations have kings. And so the Israelites wanted kings. And so God raised up kings, and they were cruel kings and some decent kings. And finally, he even raised up David. And David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible says that we as Christians are the sons of God, but Jesus was the son of David, the son of Abraham. How about that? But it didn't work. The old covenant just didn't work. So God does this, I call it spiritual golden nuggets. God makes a brand new covenant, a very important covenant. My pastor mentioned it recently. I wish every church and every preacher would preach about this. There's a new covenant. Now, listen closely. The old covenant was between God and man, and it never worked. So God makes a new covenant, and Christian, listen to me. The new covenant is not between God and man. Hebrews, the eighth chapter, that's where I found it. Study the eighth chapter of Hebrews. This new covenant makes the old covenant obsolete. But the new covenant was made between God the Father and God the Son. That's the covenant we are under. Do you realize how important that is? We're not, we, we are the recipients of the new covenant, but the new covenant wasn't made with us because there's no way we're going to keep it. So God makes this new covenant. So that gives us in, leads us into two dispensations. The dispensation of the law, which was given in the Old Testament, and the dispensation of grace, which is given to us in the New Testament. The old covenant was made up of mainly Jews with some Gentiles saved. The new covenant reverses that. 
The new covenant is made up of mainly Gentiles with a few Jews being saved. If you want to keep up with prophecy, you've got to watch the Jews. Keep your eyes on Israel because God made promises to Israel and he's still keeping them until this day. When I was 11 years old, this is what had happened to Israel. Finally, God had given them the promised land, the land they so coveted. But finally, nothing was working. And so God put them in Babylonian captivity. Now the people of God are in captivity. They lost their nation. And then they were scattered into all nations. That's why on the day of Pentecost, Jews were coming from all nations. They were scattered. So this is what God did. When I was 11 years old, May the 14th, 1948, guess what happened? God had promised he would restore their nation. Israel became a nation again. <clears throat> a one-eyed Jewish general outnumbered 80 to 1. Led his troops to victory, conquered Jerusalem. And Israel became a nation again. What a great happening that was. But they did not control the temple. And they didn't have their holy city, Jerusalem, back. Now tighten up your seatbelts. Under our present president, Jerusalem is now the capital of Israel again. Isn't that awesome? How close do you think we're getting to the rapture? <laughs> I don't know, but, but I got my bags packed and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Amen. Now, then Jesus, God does something beyond that. I want to tell you next that they got their country back. Now they've got their capital back, but they don't have the temple back. That's where the Antichrist is going to set himself up, in the temple. They're going to get it back someday. Not yet. But God does the most wonderful thing. It's astounding to me after almost 60, next year will be 60 years of him preaching. God did the most wonderful thing. Only God could do this. God created a second Adam. And the second Adam and the first Adam had something in common. They did not have an earthly father. God created the first Adam. When I was taking those science classes in the state university, the closest I ever came to shouting in my life was in an atheist professor's science class. I could just see God having everything. And, and I'm not a shouter, so I didn't do it. <laughs> I went to the lab professor. And, and he said, he, this was a lab professor who had written the manuals for all the, the, the state universities in Texas. He told me this, no man could study scientists, a science and not believe in God. Well, the second Adam is made and that's Jesus. Now, remember, remember, the new covenant is between God and Jesus. Jesus lives the perfect life. Only man that ever lived a perfect life. Then something marvelous happens. 
they, they thought, the Pharisees thought that they were killing Jesus on the cross. That's the best thing they could have ever done. <laughs> when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, I, I, preachers, please preach more on this. Listen to this old preacher. When he died on the cross, there was a storm, and the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. What does that mean? It's astounding what it means. It means the holy of holies was transferred into us. Isn't that awesome? We possess the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go in there and only once a year and they tied a rope around him because they went through all kinds of ceremony and cleansing and if he got in there and dropped dead, they had to pull him out. But now, what know you not? Your bodies are what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people, but now he has a people for his temple. But more than that happened. God at Pentecost stamps a brand new identity on man. If you're saved, you have that identity. Don't let the devil cheat you out of serving God. You have the holy of holies, and now your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now they take Jesus, and they put him in the tomb. The Pharisees had gone to Pilate and said, the disciples are likely to steal his body, so please secure the tomb because Jesus and the disciples said, if you put him in the tomb, he's going to rise again in three days. So what does Pilate do? He has a huge stone rolled over the mouth of the tomb, and he posts guards there, put his seal upon it. But an earthquake happened. And in the middle of that night, a mighty angel. Folks, this happened. A mighty angel came from heaven, knocked those soldiers down like dead men, rolled that stone back. And then the mighty angel sat on top of the stone. Early the next morning, Mary Magdalene came. Mary Magdalene is the one that Jesus cast seven demons out of. She had been a lady of the night. She had been everything. In the, in the 90s, I had a lady like that in my church. That lady got saved and brought 40-something people down the aisle that she had led to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? He that is forgiven much, loveth much. Well... I'm throwing, a, I'm throwing a few illustrations in there just so it won't, I won't boggle your mind too much, okay? All right. Now, three days later, Jesus has this bodily resurrection. Mary Magdalene goes in, and she looks. And remember what Jesus said? This Old Testament, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and night, so shall the Son of Man be in the center of the earth. Then the Bible also says, that he that ascended, but first before he ascended, this is what happened. Mary Magdalene went into the tomb, and at the head and the foot of the tomb there were angels, two angels. And she said, and by the way, the grave clothes were neatly folded. Jesus was neat. <laughs> and, and she said, where have you taken my Lord? 
And they said, he's not here. He is risen. Praise God. She goes outside of the tomb. There's a man standing there. She thought it was the gardener. It was really Jesus. And she went out to grab him. Robona! She wanted to grab him and hug him. She said, don't touch me. <laughs> I've not yet ascended to my father. And then he ascends up to the father. Did you know up in heaven there is a tabernacle not made with human hands but made by God himself? And Jesus offers, listen closely, he offers his precious blood on the mercy seat of heaven. God said, that's it. Redemption is done. He wasn't through yet, but redemption is done. He has lived the sinless life, died the vicarious death, had the glorious resurrection, wonderful ascension back to the Lord. But the Bible says he that ascended is also he that descended. The Bible says first into the lower parts of the earth. Now, I'm not going to read the scripture references. You can look them up because my time will run out. <laughs> there are two compartments in the center of the earth, wherever that is. There's an upper compartment known as paradise or Abraham's bosom. Remember the rich man in Lazarus? The rich man's in hell. He looks into Abraham's bosom. Please send Lazarus that he might dip the tip, put the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. But he said, I've got five brethren. Please send Lazarus that he might testify to my five brethren, lest they also come into this place of torment. Let me tell you, some people might be bragging about going to hell and hoping you'll go there too. Not when they get to hell. The rich man didn't want his brothers in hell. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Oh, no, Father Abraham. If one went unto him from the dead, they'll believe. I've got a word for you. One did rise from the grave, and still men are not believing. That's why they need we evangelists. So, this is what happens. Jesus goes down to those two compartments. And the first thing he does, he goes to the lower compartment. And Jesus himself testifies against all those in Noah's day all the way back to Adam that rejected the Lord. You call him an old fool? You call him an old crazy old man? Now look where you are. Look where he is. But... They didn't understand that, but it's too late then. Remember, when God closes the door, no man can open it. God opens the door, no man can close it. We're in the age of the open door. I'm trying to tell you folks, we're in the most exciting age of all history. Never been a day like this. Then Jesus empties paradise. Remember he told the thief on the cross, this day they shall be in paradise. He empties paradise into heaven and he gives gifts to men but Jesus couldn't wait now remember redemption's over with he's, he's done it he couldn't wait to get back to his apostles there were 10 of them only 10 in that upper room that night because Judas had hung himself and Thomas was off doubting somewhere right <laughs> Jesus was in such a hurry to get back 
He didn't even walk through the door. He just walked through the wall. Isn't that awesome? But he does the strangest thing. What he did has affected denomination somewhat. He breathes on his apostles. This is found in John 20, 20 through 21. And says, receive you the Holy Spirit. Did you think he breathed on them and they didn't receive the Holy Spirit? No, they received it. But then in Luke 24, 49, he said, don't go out. Hmm. He said, rather, tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Then comes Pentecost. Hey, amen. I'm not talking about the Pentecost denomination. I'm talking about the real Pentecost here. Amen. Then comes Pentecost. And I want to show you something. On the day of Pentecost, God takes the Jewish clock and he lays it down. And God picks up the Gentile clock. This is the age of the Gentiles. That clock has been ticking ever since. It's still ticking till today. It's the age of the Gentiles. It's the church age. It's the age of grace. It's the age of the new covenant. It's the age of the new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus he had to be born again. No one was born again until Pentecost. It was the age in which man becomes the temple of God. It was the age of permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It was the age of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are three categories of gifts. There are ministry gifts, motivational gifts, and manifestation gifts. Research that. It's worth your time. He gave men the power to cast out demons, and he did something else that I have used since 1964, tried to use it before then. The Bible says in Mark 16, 17, Jesus said these words. My disciples will cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. Now, I worked with Baptists for over 20 years, never had any conflict. I've been speaking in tongues since 1964. I was the first person in the world that I ever heard speak in tongues, and it was not gibberish. It's a heavenly language. It's beautiful. This is why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this because this has been what I have done for almost 60 years now. I pray with my understanding, and I pray in the Spirit until I hear from God, and then I just do what God tells me to do, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Amen? It's not me. It's the Lord. In all these years and all the ministry, that's what I've done. Let me tell you the results of that. Have no bitterness. Not mad at anybody. Not upset with anybody. Love everybody. A couple of them, I'd like to give them a little spanking, but still love them. And I've been through just about everything a preacher can go through, but praise God, I've never been charged with any moral failure or anything. There were four Pentecost. Listen closely to what it says. Acts 1.8, that's when Jesus said, don't go out. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come up on you. 
and you shall be witnesses. Notice, notice what he says. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Look at the four Pentecosts. Jerusalem, Acts 2. That was a Jewish Pentecost. Samaritan, Acts 8 with Philip. That's the Samaritan Pentecost. The Gentile Pentecost for us in Acts 10. Peter initiated it, but Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. And the finally, the uttermost parts of the earth, the Ephesian elders in, in, in Acts 19. There may be others we, won't, we don't have recorded. Now get ready. Let me, let me have your attention. I'm going to give you the key to understanding biblical prophecy concerning the second coming of Christ. Here it is. God showed it to me. Remember I told you to take note about the days of Noah? The tribulation and the second coming is thoroughly talked about in the four Gospels and the Old Testament, but not the rapture. Why? Because the rapture is for the church. That's why it doesn't talk about it. So, Jesus told Peter, when Peter made the great confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, Upon this rock I'll build my church. Not on the rock of Peter, on his confession. He said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. I wonder if the, if the disciples didn't say, What's the church? There was no church. Amen? The church didn't happen until Pentecost. So keep that in mind. If you'll keep what in mind, what I just told you, it'll all unfold. And it won't hang up anywhere. The rapture is for the church. Now listen closely. If you try to put the rapture in Matthew 24 and 25 and Luke 21, you're going to have some problems. Why? Because it's not there. Now, Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 24, 37, the answer to this. As it, listen closely. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. I want to ask you a question. Jesus wasn't confused when he said that. Who was taken and who was left in the days of Noah? The lost were taken, and Noah and his family were left. That would be a reversed rapture. Amen? The rapture is the opposite of that. Okay. Now, Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul unveils to us about the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. By the way, Paul wrote 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. The rapture happens like this. The dead in Christ, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Most of you know that. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know that. All right. So here's what's going to take place. The rapture ends the church age. Romans 8 and 11, if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead lives in you, 
then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive again your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwelleth in you. Isn't that wonderful that when the Holy Spirit came, came with the, coming with the Holy Spirit, came our power of resurrection? Marvelous, wonderful truth. Well, people think, well, here's the Antichrist, there's the Antichrist. Listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. The Bible says the Antichrist can't come to power until he, the Bible says, until he be taken, he that withholdeth be taken out of, out of the way. The King James, New King James, nails it. The pronoun is capitalized in the New King James. That he is not Michael the archangel, that he is the Holy Spirit. Because that ends the church age. Now here's what happens. The rapture takes place. And we go up to wonderful things. We first go to the Bema. You know what the Bema is? It's the judgment seat of Christ. It's where we're judged. But I've got good news for you. We are not judged by how many times we read the Bible and how many times we prayed and how many souls we won. And I'm a soul winner. That's what I live for. But that's not what I'm going to be judged for. We're judged at the judgment seat of Christ by what we allowed the Holy Spirit that God put in us to work in and through us. That's what God wants. He wants the Holy Spirit to work through us. That's why I don't have any bitterness. That's why I'm not upset. That's why I didn't get upset when other people got upset. I'm just doing what God told me to do. Didn't have to work. Did you know something? In 60 years now, almost, God has never failed me. If it was $10 or $10 million, we never had any money, but always he came through. Finally, he came through to where eight times I've, I've preached, and again tonight, but I've preached on worldwide television seven or eight times, and, and all I'm doing is obeying God, just doing what God tells me to do. Now, after the, we go through the Bema, after the Holy Spirit works through us, and we go up before the Lord to get our reward, one man said to me one time, well, I'm not sure I'll be happy if somebody has more than me up there. And God gave me the answer. I told him, I said, sir, you don't have to worry because there are thimble Christians and barrel Christians. I think I might be a bucket one. <laughs> what do you think? But, but it doesn't take much to satisfy a thimble, right? It takes a whole lot more to satisfy a barrel. That's why the Lord says he's going to put some over many cities and some over few cities. What we allow the Holy Spirit to do through us, I love to do that. Just let the Holy Spirit have his way. Well, then we go on up to the marriage of the Lamb. The marriage of the Lamb is when Christ is married to his bride. Who is his bride? The church, right? We are his bride. We get married to the Lord, and after that we go to the greatest feast ever in history called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Jesus said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine to his disciples until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Matthew 26, 29. We are, this is what's astounding. It's just, this is unbelievable. Thank God that you show me this, Lord. 
At that time, we are forever made totally perfect like our Savior. Body, soul, and spirit. Our souls are already perfect, but our bodies and our soulish man are not. That's our personalities. But then we get perfection, just like Jesus. I found you can get the up there, down here, before the down here gets up there. You can. You believe, believe it. Okay. Now, when we get through with that, we put on our white robes. And I used to be a horse trainer, so I'm really excited about this. And we get on our white horses. People say there's not animals in heaven. Well, there's horses up there, I know. And Jesus takes the lead horse with flaming fire of eyes and all of that. And guess what? We come back with Jesus. We're made perfect. But something's happening on the earth while we're gone. By the way, one time years ago, we did the four horsemen in my, in my church. I rode one of the horses. You know, remember the white horse, the black horse, the gray horse, the pale horse? We, I rode a live horse into the church. <laughs> we had 40 people come to the Lord, but we did it for several nights. I don't even know how many got saved in that whole thing. What happens on earth? When the church is gone, remember, it's, it's the Holy Spirit holding back the Antichrist. He comes to power. And for three and a half years, he offers peace to man. I've wondered, could he be the one, I don't know this for sure, could he be the one that would bring peace between Israel and the Palestinians? I don't know. Maybe so. But remember, only the lost are left on the earth. Church is gone. But God didn't forget those people. Don't miss this. God raises up 144,000 anointed, flaming Jewish evangelists. Now, this is one that's really hard for me to believe, who never known a woman. And that's something, the virgins. And the Antichrist can't kill them. They live through the whole time. Now, they evangelize the world. Probably millions, maybe billions of people get saved. Then comes the great tribulation, where the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple, posing to be God, demanding that men worship him as God. You either take the mark of the beast, 666, or they cut your head off. And so that happens just before Armageddon, because then the nations of the world rebel against the Antichrist. And they gather for battle at the plain of Israel, the valley of Jehoshaphat, known as Megiddo. That battle is going to be so severe. I'm glad I'm going to be with Jesus. Men's eyes are going to be consumed in their sockets. Their flesh is going to melt from their bones. One third of the entire world's population is going to be destroyed in that battle. Gog and Magog, nations that don't like Israel, along with the other nations, are going to rebel against the Antichrist. They're going to rebel against Israel. And guess what's going to happen next? 
the greatest event in history, I think, is going to happen. There's the secret of coming of Christ. That's the rapture. Then there's a second coming of Christ when everybody will see him. And we, remember it says, this same Jesus which was taken up from you shall so come in like manner as you've seen him going to heaven. We're going to have bodily resurrections. And then what's going to happen at the second coming, there's going to take place a judgment. We're going to intervene that battle, by the way. And Satan is going to be knocked down and he's going to be cast into a bottomless pit. Then comes the judgment of the nations or the sheep and goat judgment where Jesus places the sheep on his right hand, goats on his left hand. He said to those on his right hand, listen to what he says. Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's the millennial kingdom. We go into the millennial kingdom after Satan is, is defeated, but there at the judgment of the nations, the sheep and goat judgment, those on his left hand, he sends them into everlasting fire. Sends the devil into the bottomless pit because he's going to use them again. Now, things change. They go into the millennial kingdom. Satan's not on the earth. But Jesus still has to rule with a rod of iron. Why? Because James 1.14 says that without Satan here, men's hearts can still be drawn to lust. Even without Satan. So that's why God, through that thousand years, reigns with a rod of iron. Both Old and New Testament say this. Now, I'm not 100% sure on this one, okay? Just say, pastor thinks this might be the truth. I do think it's the truth. Both the Old and New Testament say this. One day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Einstein came along with his theory of relativity. And this is what he said. The closer, there's a center to the universe. The closer you get to that center, the less time goes by. So it's very possible that one day, one day is passed in heaven, a thousand years have passed on the earth. Take this for what it's worth to you. Jesus created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. He's never had his day since Adam. From Adam to Abraham, it's 2,000 years. Abraham to Christ, 2,000 years. Christ into now, 2,000 plus years. How long is the millennial kingdom? 1,000 years. God's going to have his day on this earth. A child will be 200 years old. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Satan at the end of that 1,000 years. By the way, snakes will no longer have their poisonous venom. It'll be peace, God's day on the earth, 1,000 years. At the end of that thousand years, Satan is released for a little season. You find that in Revelation chapter 19 and 20. When he's released from the pit, you know what he does? It's exactly what he's doing today. He sets out to deceive men. And again, he's so persuasive. Next to God, I guess he's the wisest on, wisest on the earth. Not for my opinion, but anyhow, 
So there they go again, another battle. Gog and Magog. But at the end, it's not as long as the other one. At the end, here's what happens. Satan, the beast, the false prophet, death, and hell are all cast into the lake of fire. And then comes the judgment bar of God. Now, at the judgment bar of God, that's where the white throne judgment, where the books are open and the book of life is open. If your name's not found written in the book of life, you're cast into the lake of fire. I'm going to close with this. Everything that Satan ever touched, he defiled it. He's the one that defiled you. He touched the present heaven, we're going to get a new heaven. He touched our bodies, we're going to get new bodies. He touched this earth, we're going to get a new earth. When God gets through, God's going to have his way. It's going to all be over. 2 Peter 3.13 says this, But according to his promise, we are awaiting a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. This illustration, and I'm through. Scientists tell us that in the center of the earth, nuclear fission could happen. That's what caused the atomic bomb. And that this earth could melt in a matter of minutes. God destroyed the earth once by the flood, but he's going to destroy it this time with a fire. And then we're going to get the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now I have a question for you. Are you, I'm not pinning this on you because I include myself in this. Am I allowing the precious Holy Spirit who put the Holy of Holies inside of me, am I allowing him to work through me like he wants to. Just in case those who are watching this online or somebody here that's not certain about their salvation, I'm going to pray a prayer. Long, many years ago, I asked God for a simple plan of salvation, and he gave me what I call the three R's. I've used it all. It's all over the world, by the way, now. And there's a, like a 150,000 a month little pamphlets going out all over the world about this. But realize that you're a sinner. Be willing to repent and receive Christ. We'll ask you to pray this prayer. If you're already saved, you just pray for somebody else, okay? But I'm asking the audience over here, pray this prayer. You're watching this in your home, wherever you are. I don't care where you are. What I've told you is what I believe to be the absolute truth. And if you take it and go through the Bible, it's not going to hang up with you. The revelation is going to make sense. It's all going to make sense. Ezekiel 36, 27, the Lord said, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Isn't that marvelous? Now, I want you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I realize that I've sinned against you, but I am willing to repent. 
And right this moment, I receive you into my heart, into my life, to be my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you. Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He won't cast you out. Isn't that wonderful? He loves all of us. 